the transmission. It was a shock to see my father, Irv, in the hours right after his death from a heart attack. He died while I was visiting my sister, who lived near him in Florida. He looked so completely different as he lay there in his bedroom, wearing his usual jeans and brown t-shirt, his face radiated a peaceful glow that I had never seen before. Where were the anger lines that I had come to know so well when I was growing up? And what happened to his tightly clenched jaw? His mouth looked relaxed now. He had apparently let go of some lifelong burdens. A cloak of serenity seemed to surround his entire body in anticipation of this final journey. I recall the Yiddish expression, goldena hands, meaning golden hands, that my relatives used to describe my father's wonderful ability to fix or build anything. Weekdays, he worked with machinery as a tool and die maker in New York City. On weekends, he focused on our house, building, renovating, fixing, and improving its many parts. He climbed two stories to reshingle the old dark brown roof, built an enclosed patio and game room in an empty area of our backyard, and laid down new cement for a perfectly leveled sidewalk at our front gate. He put a new engine in our old black Ford, and it ran for five more years. He sketched people's portraits in charcoal and carved the likenesses of animals in balsa wood. It seemed like there was nothing he couldn't do, build, or fix. He was the superman of our neighborhood, and everyone looked up to him. People would knock on our door to ask if Irv could fix their appliances, and he always managed to fix whatever needed fixing. His workshop was huge. It filled our entire basement. And as a little kid, I loved to secretly explore his many machines, tools, and spare parts when he wasn't around. He was very proud of his perfectly organized workshop with its expensive equipment and components and would never have allowed a little kid to touch anything down there. I had so admired Irv and felt drawn to him at a very young age. He became my hero. I wanted to grow up to be just like him, strong, skilled, and able to do anything out in the world. And I wanted him to teach me how to build, fix, and do all the things that he could do. But it was impossible to connect with him since he was always busy with projects, and the one thing he didn't know how to do was to have a relationship with his family. Viewing his body now, I couldn't get over how peaceful he looked, and I wanted to remember this moment. I stepped back from his bed, pulled out my phone, and snapped a final photo. I studied the photo for several minutes, noticing all its detail. It showed the strong, handsome features of a man looking younger than his 81 years. 
mostly bald now with fringes of white hair, a strong nose, and few wrinkles, I still saw touches of the hero that I once admired. But then I was reminded of the photos in our family album. He wasn't in most of them because he was always busy working. When he did manage to show up, he wasn't there emotionally, except in his anger. So this picture of a man at peace seemed like a lie, because he never seemed at peace while he was alive. I felt like I was viewing the photo of a stranger. I started talking to this stranger, my father, and these were my words. There was so much that I needed and wanted from you when I was growing up, and you were totally not there for me, for Toby, my twin, for our older brothers, Richard and Bernard, and even for Mom. You were always off doing your own thing, and basically, you abandoned us all. We were invisible to you, and this was so painful. I craved your attention, but you couldn't give it unless I did something wrong. Then you would get angry, very angry, like some dangerous caged animal aroused from its slumber. You never physically hit me, but you often called me stupid idiot, and your angry words landed many painful blows to its target. A part of me still feels wounded by you these many decades later. And what was your anger about? It hurts so much to have you yell at me and call me stupid idiot. I am not stupid, and I have never been stupid. I'm quite brilliant in a lot of different ways. Right now, I'm feeling very sorry for you and for all that we could have had. We could have been a loving family, but that's not what you wanted. Well, you really missed out. There's so much that you could have gotten from us if you had only been open to receiving our love. So now you're dead, and there's still a part of me that wants the love you were incapable of giving. I know how crazy that is. Looking at Dad's relaxed face as he lay there in bed, I got in touch with what I needed. I wanted him to tell me how sorry he was for all the heartache that he had caused us. Maybe then I might be able to forgive him. But of course, it was too late. Now he was gone forever. But I did have a plan. At this point in my story, it might be useful to give you some history that will explain my plan. If you search the web, you'll find that in 2011, the Nobel Prize in Physiology was awarded to two scientists from Stanford University for their trailblazing work. They pinpointed the exact location in the brain where knowledge and experience is regularly stored. Their work was further expanded by researchers from the University of Colorado, who developed a detailed mapping of this location, 
with its many sectors storing different types of information. A further search of the web will reveal the next major advance, the ability to communicate with this area of the brain via computer. It became possible to download a copy of specific information from a person's brain and upload new data to that very location. Here's an important date for you to note. On June 27, 2019, a breakthrough occurred that was destined to upend the way that humans have learned since the beginning of time. A brilliant team at Westmore Labs in California succeeded in the landmark transmission of information directly from one person's brain to another via computer. Well, as you might guess, there are always people looking to make money from scientific uh, advances, and this was no exception. That year, the Institute for Knowledge Transmission, IKT, was founded in Massachusetts to explore ways to monetize this new technology. No longer would we need to tolerate the rigors and frustrations of learning. In a matter of minutes, we could upload what we needed to know directly to our brain cells. It had become feasible to easily acquire any kind of knowledge and to achieve brilliancy in all the major areas of life. Wow! The potential for this technology was enormous and profound, as you might imagine. Now, anyone could become a golf pro via a computer upload in just three minutes, a chess grandmaster in seven minutes, a concert pianist in five minutes, or achieve the ability to speak fluent Mandarin in only seven minutes. The technology, along with its equipment, was licensed to companies throughout the world, and so-called transmission centers popped up everywhere, almost overnight. There's probably one or more in your city. Of course, the cost for an upload varied according to its content, from $99 for a building contractor's 40 years of home-building knowledge and wisdom to the $999 upload that gave us access to the vast array of lovemaking secrets that had been stored in Hugh Hefner's brain. An active market developed for the sale of human knowledge and experience that was derived from famous people's minds. Then, as you might expect, a few companies went further and offered a total transmission of all the knowledge and experience from the brain of someone who was dying or who had just passed on. This total knowledge transmission, TKT, cost $2,999, took about 30 minutes, and proved to be quite popular. It allowed the knowledge and wisdom of a lifetime to be preserved and passed on to future generations. Total transmissions became commonplace. Have you had one yet? Getting back to my father, there wasn't much time to act. 
the transmission process had to be accomplished within 24 hours after death, or the brain would die, and all the information would be lost. And I was feeling anxiety about that. I had scheduled a total knowledge transmission for 1 p.m. at his house. After that, a hearse would take me and Dad to a funeral home for a brief 3 p.m. service with my family, followed by his burial. Of course, I didn't tell my family about the transmission because they never would have agreed to it. They never agreed to anything that I ever wanted to do. But this was important to me. I had always wanted Dad to teach me what he knew about building, fixing, and doing all the remarkable things that he did. He wasn't willing to do that in life, and I was determined to make it happen with his death. I was always a real klutz with a hammer and tools, and here was my chance to become the skilled craftsman that Dad had been over his lifetime. At exactly one o'clock, a van with the logo Transmissions Unlimited pulled up to Dad's house. It came from the local transmission center, part of a chain that had mushroomed across the country. A doorbell rang, and I welcomed the transmission team into Dad's living room. The two men, both in their 40s, wore blue medical scrubs, and the shorter one carried a large silver-colored metal suitcase. I'm Bill, said the taller one with red curly hair and a commanding presence as he vigorously shook my hand. And this is Pete. He turned and pointed to his brown-haired companion standing behind him, who then reached out and limply shook my hand. Where's your dad? Bill asked, looking around the living room. Over in the bedroom, I answered and led them down the hall. We entered Dad's bedroom, and there he was, laid out on the bed, as serene-looking as ever. "'Can I get you something to drink?' I asked. "'No, thanks,' Bill replied. "'We're not permitted to eat or drink while we're on assignment.' Pete placed the suitcase down on a brown wooden table opposite the bed, He flipped three latches and lifted the cover. I noticed what looked like bicycle helmets sitting in the gray foam-lined case. The helmets, one white and one black, were made of some plastic-like material, and they were connected together with a long, thick black cable. Please have a seat in that armchair near the bed, Bill said, as he lifted the two helmets from their case and I'll explain the transmission process to you. I went over and for the very first time sat down in Dad's favorite maroon leather recliner. It felt so strange to fill this seat that he had inhabited for all those many years. It felt like I didn't deserve to sit there because I wasn't the son that he had wanted but it also felt appropriate to be sitting there since I would soon be in possession of all his knowledge. Bill's words brought me me back from my thoughts. You will be wearing this white helmet 
and will place the black one over your dad's head. From inside the case cover, he pulled out what looked like an oversized computer laptop, opened it up, and set it down next to the case. This is a very straightforward procedure, he said in a most reassuring voice, and should only take about 30 minutes. I'll position the helmets comfortably on your heads, start up my laptop, access the Total Transmission app, and begin the process. We will need to give you an anesthetic, he said, and pulled a hypodermic needle from a small brown pouch in the upper part of the case. The transmission itself is not painful, but some people freak out when billions of gigabytes of new data first enter their brain. The process is quite harmless. We haven't seen any side effects across the hundreds of transmissions that we've performed. However, I am required to have you sign this waiver. He handed me a pen and a packet of papers stapled together. I browsed through the pages and saw several legal phrases that I didn't understand. But Dad and I were due at the funeral home by 3 p.m., and there was really no time to ask any questions. I turned to page 14 at the back, signed my name in the space provided, and inserted the date on the next line. I handed Bill the disclaimer packet, and he approached me with the hypodermic needle. Please roll up your sleeve. This will be quick, he said. I followed his direction and felt a sharp, needle-like jab to my right arm. At that point, I started feeling woozy. I became aware of my head falling back on the recliner headrest as I slipped into a deep sleep. When I woke up, I saw Bill and Pete packing up their equipment. I slowly rose from the chair and stood up, feeling very wobbly. You should take it easy for a while, Bill said as he watched me get to my feet. You'll probably feel strange for a few days as your brain integrates all that new data. How long will it take to feel really comfortable with my dad's knowledge? I asked. Probably about a week or two. It varies widely from person to person. Will I take on any of dad's personality traits? No, that doesn't occur. This was just a data transfer. I breathed a sigh of relief as he handed me their bill and reached into my wallet for a credit card. I gave it to them, and they ran it through a machine that was built into the metal case. They gave me a printed receipt. They both shook my hand and thanked me for the business as I walked them to the door. I returned to the bedroom, and Dad looked as calm and relaxed as ever. The hearse arrived shortly after that, and Dad and I headed over to the funeral home where my sister and brothers were waiting. After we arrived, his body was moved, and a brown oak casket soon appeared. We took our seats, and the service began. The rabbi gave his eulogy and talked about people's admiration for Dad's talent and many skills.
He mentioned Dad's role in our family and used the words, Loving Father, as he pointed toward Dad's casket. I felt uncomfortable with those words and wished he hadn't said them. The service soon ended, and Dad was buried the next day. Over the following week, I had some occasional headaches, but soon felt like my old self again. I was very aware of all the new knowledge that I had been implanted in my brain. I had strange new feelings of confidence around physical tools that I had never, ever handled before. One day, while at the Home Depot to buy some light bulbs, I realized that I could name each of the 36 different kinds of metal fasteners that sat on their shelves. I could also rattle off all the screw thread sizes. I now knew how to repair a 1950 Ford and could easily give you all the dates that the Arvern, New York Fishing Club was scheduled to meet between the years 1956 and 1962. So, a lot of my new knowledge was totally useless. Some of it might come in handy one day, but I realized that I no longer had a desire to do carpentry work or any of the other things that Dad was so good at. My interest had changed and evolved over the years since my childhood, and none of this new knowledge seemed useful in my present life. In the months following the transmission, there was an important shift deep inside me, and I finally felt ready to let go of all those things that I had wanted from Dad as a kid. He couldn't give them, and I no longer felt a need to have them. The time had come to cut the cord and say goodbye. May Dad rest in peace. May we both rest in peace. <laughs>